150 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Linger, joined today by Paul Noonan and Brad Ford. Ryan's out this week, but is hoping to be back next week. And Paul, we're glad you survived any parent traps the kids may have laid last night for you. <laughs> so, yeah, if you're going to, it seems like an innocent movie to show your kids. So, so we watched The Parent Trap. It was the Lindsay Lohan, whatever year that was, one. And, like, the kids just really took to it and literally set traps for my wife and I all evening. <laughs> like, putting hard stuff in pillows, um, just, like, booby trapping, like, where you would normally get up from chairs. It, it Like, no kidding. It was a worse influence on them than, like, any super violent movie we could have actually shown them. Um, I'm never showing them Home Alone based on this because we'll be <laughs> we'll be dead in six hours if we ever do that. Um but yeah, we wow. we we did survive. We're okay now. They seem to have forgotten. They watched it. Thank goodness for kids' attention spans. <laughs> well, now, we're glad you're is here. It, isn't the idea to trap you and the wife in the room so you don't get a divorce? So or? I uh, so I, I've like I've seen all the parent traps a bunch of times, um, from being a kid to being a, a grown up, uh, and I the only thing I remember is yes, it's 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 about trying to get the parents who have gotten divorced back together. But at the beginning of it, there's a whole long segment where the girls go to camp together and just like mercilessly torture each other. And I'd totally forgotten about that part. Um, so that's the kids really enjoyed that part a lot. <laughs> too, far too much. Um, yeah, don't watch The Parent Trap with your little kids because they will try and murder you afterwards. Well, well yeah. we're glad you made it. You're, yeah. you're, you're awake. You're good. Everything's all right. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to the brewers talk in a minute, but first a reminder, we're sponsored by carbon Four brewing, you know, their great beers like black party and their flagship fantasy factory IPA, as well as the idiot farm Imperial IPA. That's back now that Ryan was very excited about last week. The next time you're in Madison, you can stop by the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on the east side or look for it at your local grocery store. You can also get a 20% discount on some Carbon 4 merch online just by listening to this podcast. Go to Carbon4.com. Use our promo code MKE Tailgate when you check out. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support our podcast network at Patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible Packers mini pods. And you get question priority here every week when we do this podcast. I just so, want to give it a plug, and I think we're getting a yeah. preview. But this week uh, we did an interview with Chris Maring and got an actual look inside the uh, taxi squad. It's awesome. Like Chris yep. has such good insight from it and there, there were things that I wasn't considering that he talked about. He gave us good looks at and discussions about the successes some of the prospects are having. So that's a really good uh, little peek behind the curtain there that I think a lot of fans would really enjoy. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. Chris is also a, a good Twitter follow and a good guy generally. So highly recommend that as well. But it, it was a very enlightening podcast. So highly recommend. Yeah, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, we'll try to play that a little bit of that for you as well. Uh, in the meantime, as we record this on a Sunday morning, the Brewers are 5-7 and seven after a, a less than encouraging start to the series against the Cincinnati Reds. And they're um, going against Sonny Gray. Let's just call it 5-8. and eight. Let's just <laughs> call yeah, it 8 so they got, <laughs> got Woodruff going, but Sonny Gray, uh, considering so the Brewers are averaging 11 strikeouts a game. Uh, to start the year, which, uh, you know, that'll happen when you're facing Trevor Bauer, but also it's happening when they're not facing Trevor Bauer, which is the problem, right? Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> um, this is going to look a lot like their first game of the season uh, again against the Cubs with Woodruff. And I, like I, I predicted earlier, they're going to get no hit. Um, I, I stand by that. Um, by the time this podcast goes up, you'll know about it. But like 
Sonny Gray has looked very good this season, and the Brewers' offense is just brutal. So, uh, not not good. Not looking good. I wish Woodruff could. Not they should let him hit, um, really, because Woodruff is a better hitter than some of the guys they have hitting in the lineup right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Justin spoke, for instance, probably give give, give up that DH spot and, yeah. and uh, let Woodruff hit. Uh, so I mentioned, yeah, they're averaging a ton of strikeouts a game. Uh, I guess to be fair, if you want to be fair, the offense as a whole is down across the league, but the Brewers have been kind of especially bad. Uh, as of this morning, there's only six teams hitting 250 or better. Uh, but the problem is the Brewers are 27th in offensive war. They're 26th in WRC plus they're 25th in WOBA 25th in battering average. So basically they've been a bottom five offense so far. Uh, Let me ask you guys, like who do you think the best hitter on the offense has been so far? Uh, I'm not looking at it right now, but my guess would be Gamble off the top of my head. Yeah. Just going off of like gut. Gamel or Eric Sogard is actually at least getting on base every once in a while. Yeah, but that's okay. all he's doing. Yeah. So we're talking about the injured, probably right, once Lorenzo Kane left the team. Yeah. But you're looking at a Ben Gamble team leading OPS of regulars at 763. Oof. Thought it was him. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there is Jed Jerko does have an 846, but uh, he's only has 15 at bats compared to over double yeah. that for Ben Gamble. This is gross. So, yeah. And then his OPS Eric plus Sogard is has seven. 109 leads the team in OPS plus. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like the other guy I would have gone with just out of gut performance when you're watching him, because he always seems to get a hit compared to everyone else is Orlando Arcia. And you're talking about a 310 slugging percentage. Yeah, it's, <laughs> It's definitely not great. So I guess uh, question number one is how worried are we at this point uh, a couple weeks in here? Um, very. I think it'd be better. <laughs> go, go ahead, Brad. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think it'd be better if, like, I think that four game cool down because the Cardinals ruin everything mm. did, like, slow everyone down. I think, like, you're looking at Keston Hira who has a measly 213 batting average at this point with a 362 slugging. Um, you know, batting average is a garbage stat, but it still gives context to how yes. successful they are being at the plate. He has 20 strikeouts and 54 plate appearances. Keston here is a slow starter. Traditionally, he strikes out a lot at the beginning of the season. Then like two or three weeks, he starts to get going. And I wonder how much that start has been just completely cooled down by having four games off and not being able to do anything. So you're looking at guys who, uh, you know, might be having more success, but their tempo has been screwed up. They're uh, just in a stupid season have been adversely affected by stupid things. (laughs) That's, that's all true. Uh, But aside from all of like the Cardinals screwing things up and the, the Cardinals also screwing up, basically making Lorenzo Cain opt out. I mean, not making him, but mm-hmm. creating the scenario that made it was him the make last the decision. Straw, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That removes one of their better offensive players who had been on a tear. Um, th- this lineup also just lacks Kane and Braun at the moment. And uh, those are, you know, two of their better hitters. You replace those guys with guys who aren't necessarily very good. Logan Morrison has a 35 OPS plus right now. That's, uh, that's bad. <laughs> uh, and... There's a, t- a ton of guys under 70. I mean, it's This is a combination of they've lost a bunch of good hitters. They have other good hitters who are slumping all simultaneously. That's going to make a bad offense. And 
you know, eventually Yelich will probably get right. Um, oh, maybe not. It's only a 60-game season, but probably. <laughs> but even if he does, um, there's just so many holes in the lineup. It, they're probably not going to be a top-half offense with what they have here. It, it's just not going to happen. Like, um, it, it, too many holes, too, too much bad. Um, all those guys we were kind of hoping would just get hot for 60 games. None of them are, and that's not that surprising because, as I kept saying, all of them are bad. Logan Morrison's bad. <laughs> um, uh, our favorite, Justin Smoke, who Ryan picked as a good player last week. Sorry, you're not here to defend yourself, but you wouldn't have any way to defend yourself, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> he, he has a, you know what Justin Smoke's OPS plus is? I only because I'm looking at it, yeah. but I know it's bad. <laughs> it, it's it, it's 17. Uh, that's That's not good. 17's bad. No. You, you wanna, no. That's how many home he's runs you want. He's 83% worse. Yes, yes. He's 83% worse than the average major leaguer. That's not still, good. Still better than Ryan Healy's six at-bats. <laughs> that is true. He is negative five. Um, but uh, basically, you want Justin Smoke and Logan Morrison's combined OPS plus to be higher than, I don't know, um, Brock Holtz? 40. <laughs> who, is, who is also not good. So, yeah, we shall be very worried. There's, um, you know, they'll probably get a little bit hotter, but there are a lot of bad players in the lineup, and there's going to continue to be a lot of bad players in the lineup. So they're going to have to really rely on their pitching, their pitching and guile if they're going to keep picking things up. Now, that all said, they're not that far out of the playoffs because everybody makes the playoffs, right. so there's that at least. Right. So we're, I think a lot of these issues are kind of glaring especially over the last couple of days here against Cincinnati which to be fair has been probably one of the best pitching teams in the National League to start the year at the same time these problems go way beyond just that series right it's started from day one literally with uh, Kyle Hendricks on opening day Uh, and and we were kind of hoping too that returning to Miller Park would help boost some of those numbers. <laughs> uh, it, it hasn't happened yet, but also, you know, the Cardinals jobbed them out of three games at home. So, you know. The to- White Sox actually do have some uh, good staff as well right now. They do. Right? Exactly. Like, also yeah. true. Yeah. So, I mean, part of it is that they're on this, this stretch of playing probable postseason teams, right? I mean, they the only bad team they've played so far is the Pirates, really. Uh, so I guess in that sense, being five and seven is not terrible. Like you guys mentioned, they're right in there, the playoff race. But at the same time, it, it's hard to see this continuing for very much longer and the team continuing to have success. Um, and a lot of that, too, is because Christian Yelich has been struggling. You know, to an extent last year, they were very much a stars and scrubs lineup, too. It's just when Christian Yelich is Christian Yelich, he's able to carry a lot more <laughs> and when he's this bad for uh, this long, now we're up to what two and a half weeks or whatever of um, just really struggling. And he did homer a couple of times this week. Got a lucky bounce against the White Sox <laughs> at the inside the park home run. There is uh, right, but he's still largely struggling. I mean, we saw it Saturday night. We saw it Friday. You know, he's still striking out on pitches he normally would take. Uh, he's looked oddly shaky in left field too over the last couple of days at least he just doesn't look comfortable at all so Mm -hmm. i guess you know like paul last week you said let's give it another week before we get really concerned about christian at this point you know like we've played what 10 or 11 games out of 60 yep he's still bad are are you that worried now a little more worried now especially because uh, so ignoring the eloy jimenez home run for a second um he's got two out of the park home runs and one double 
um, he's he's not making hard contact. Um, even right. he, he had a, he had one game where he, I think he lined into a couple of hard outs, but even when he makes contact, it's really not been good. Um, and that's that's more worrisome. Like it's not like he's just been unlucky. Now it looks like it's actually getting to him mentally a little bit. Uh, I was kind of hoping that that garbage home run would maybe prick him up a little bit. But yeah. even that doesn't seem to have happened. So, yeah, a little worried. I mean, he's he's coming back off of a kind of weird injury, and you never know how guys are going to take to that in a weird season without any um, way to get comfortable, without any way to build rhythm. Uh, you know, it's still a small sample size. It's only 51 plate appearances for him, but he's looked brutal. He's 20 strikeouts and 51 plate appearances. That's just not Christian Yelich at all. I mean, he's usually great at making contact. Um so yeah, I'm I'm worried. It's a short season, especially it's when it's a sixty game season. You know, you get hot hot and cold streaks still, but it's possible for a guy to slump for the whole season. That happens. So there's right. there's no guarantees here. There's you know, one, even when we started the season, there's not that many games left. And uh, yeah, if he doesn't come around, they're just they're tanked. They're they're done. They need him. For me, it's if he's going to be this awful, I'm okay. That it's a 60 game True. season <laughs> where he's going to be awful or like, at least it's happening during a dumb season. And I don't think this is right. anything that's career altering for Christian Yelich, but it, it definitely is concerning in terms of bulk performance. You wonder, especially when you suffer a severe injury off your own swing, you wonder if that has anything to do with it. If you become mm-hmm. a little gun shy, or if you change things up to try to avoid something that really was a freak accident, which then obviously would have big ramifications on how you play your game. So if you'd assume that between spring training, summer camp, and all the time in between that he's working on getting that right. But when you know that his mechanics are just a little screwed up, you wonder if that is because of the fear of what happened in Miami and recreating that just instance where you know it's just freak luck freak bad luck Mm -hmm. so that i think that's a little concerning that's starting to get inside my head it's still christian yelich right even before he was the mvp uh and before he was 2019 christian yelich he was still a really good hitter. So you have so much sample size for Christian Yelich knowing that he is a career good hitter. Maybe he isn't career historic National League destroyer of baseball. Maybe even if that were to go away, you'd still have Marlins Christian Yelich in there. And I think that's the bad case right now. Um, The thing I would hate is that if he never comes out of it, you're you're dealing with Christian Yelich having to sit for the offseason thinking about just how awful he played. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, you bring up a good point, too, because at least an interesting point that maybe possibly, you know, we don't want to get too much into pop psychology here. But if if the injury and the freak way that it happened is still kind of playing into his mind, a lot of his problems, I bet pitchers just busting him inside constantly. Uh, so maybe, you know, if he's gun shy about falling something off himself again, he's kind of holding back on those and that may be screwing with his timing. You know, a lot of the strikeouts that at least I can think of off the top of my head are, you know, breaking balls low and in and that kind of, th- you know, stuff that he typically didn't swing at too much. But if that's playing a factor, that that's kind of an interesting thought. And, and yeah. I thought it's pretty interesting that most of his well-hit balls seem to be going to upset field but they mm-hmm. seem to be going to opposite field because he's late 
Yeah. yeah. And just just on his splits this year, um, he normally averages um, opposite field hits, not hits, like hitting the ball to the opposite field about a quarter of the time, uh, a little higher than right. that. This year, only 8% of his contact has gone to the opposite field. Um, he's pulling 50%, which is way above what he normally does. Uh, so he's just all kinds of messed up. His his line drive percentage is also eight percent. It's exact. His line drive percentage yeah. is exactly the same as his opposite field percentage, <laughs> which <laughs> which is an interesting thing. I have to look into that a little bit more actually. Um, but yeah, he's all kinds of messed up in terms of his his batted ball profile so far. It doesn't look anything like any other Christian Yelich season. And I I think the big issue is if he is this way for 30 games, which I think is realistic. Yeah. And I think probably worst case scenario is he's well, worst case scenario is he's never good again. And the Brewers just signed him to an eight year or a <laughs> thousand year contract. But the, if he doesn't get right for 30 games, like I think he'll get at least to be like the 280 Christian Yelich hitter at some point in the season. Mm-hmm. those 30 games where he's not hitting well, those are more than likely losses. Yep. And you're looking at seasons where her situations where, I mean, you walk up and Christian Yelich is sitting there at a two, two game. It seemed like last year, every time he was hitting a home run, every time he was hitting an extra base hit, he's come up with batters on and it just seems like an easy out for or hit her runners on. And it seems like an easy out for the opposing team where that used to be the situation where in the last two seasons, he's come up big every single time and Mm -hmm. he's just not getting there. So when and then you look at the, his 20 strikeouts combined with Keston here's 20 strikeouts. So you're consistent two and three hitters, have 40 strike combined strikeouts yep. that's and, a lot of runners left on base yeah yeah it's it's been ugly and if one of them doesn't start hitting it's going to lead to a top 10 draft pick which yeah. i was telling before the show is not something i'm necessarily against because <laughs> draft picks are fun <laughs> and if you're gonna get a top 10 draft pick as a play a competitive playoff team like I think they can still be competitive next year. Obviously, they don't have a lot of money tied into the roster. They can just let most of these people go, rebuild it pretty easily in a year where people probably aren't going to be spending money and guys are going to be desperate to sign. So you can kind of put yourself in a good position pretty quickly again with the way the team is currently built. But yeah, yep. uh, then you also boost yourself by having that little spark to hopefully a quick moving piece to the farm system in a top 10 pick. So if there was a season that was going to happen, I'd be okay with it being this season just right. because of the, I think it would have a positive long-term ramification for the team. And I I don't really mind that idea going in. You're, you're all aboard the K for Kumar train, I guess is, is the, is that the trend <laughs> we're going for? Or I've come up with a bunch of stupid ones just because yeah. there's really nothing good for <laughs> Kumar <laughs> rocker. Um, <laughs> put the season in the crocker for rocker, I think was the one I was going <laughs> with. <laughs> uh, oh, but yeah, uh, I wouldn't mind the first overall pick and there's still plenty of time to, you can help your case by losing to the, the pirate. pirate. You're not going to catch the pirates. Catching the pirates. So you still bad. have, you still have seven more games against them, right? Just throw they? them. Like, they're like throw three and them. 12, aren't they? They're, they're, they're three they're and They're never 12. winning again. They're two wins above the pirates right now. <laughs> <laughs> if you throw seven games. 
that's that's a good point. All right. So obviously, Christian Yelich is a is a big uh, point of worry right now. But that kind of leads us to our first Patreon question from Jay Google, who is saying, "What or who has been the most disappointing thing or person about the offense so far?" <laughs> so. I think maybe we could probably agree that it's Christian Yelich. Yeah. So I, I thought I thought a one beyond that. So I don't know if you guys have some uh, Paul. Who who are you thinking here? Uh, there's so many candidates for this, but I, I think the obvious second one is Omar Narvaez, who is here to hit and um, has been as like basically as brutal as Yelich. Now you don't have as high a ceiling for him, but you know, his OPS plus is is 63. He's he's shown a, he actually has shown defensive improvement. At least that's something. But uh, He's slugging 214. He's he was acquired to be Grandel's bat, if not his glove, and he's been nothing of the sort. So, um, mm-hmm. the, the saving grace there's been Manny Pena at least getting on base as the the other catcher, but Narvaez has been just brutal and should be a guy that is making the lineup more impressive. Instead, he's been a drain on it as badly as everybody else. And apparently, like going to his defense, like he's he's shown some improvement and maybe been better than all of us expected with yep. the framing but did you did you see what eric lauer said after his oh my goodness was threat? that a brutal quote threw, holy cow he basically threw narvaez under the bus yep. uh basically saying i don't i don't throw that many cutters that was weird and i he took some of the blame for himself for not communicating well that, he, but should, he basically cause... said he basically said narvaez had a garbage game plan and he, that's why he got lit up he did um, one of the most brutal quotes about a catcher I think I've ever seen, although also telling on yourself a bit for not having a conference and shaking a guy off. So, um, mm-hmm. but but yeah, like that that's really bad. Narvaez has been a huge disappointment. Yeah, I would have to agree with Omar, but in that terms with Eric Lauer, I'm sorry. Every catcher has said it's the pitcher's game plan. Like I can just go down and throw fingers. So it is on Eric Lauer. I think it told more on him and who he is as a pitcher that he just let something he wasn't comfortable with happen it uh, the only reason i think you let that happen is if it's chris hook's game plan right if you've been instructed Mm -hmm. by your manager or position coach to do that because otherwise you're shaking the catcher off and yelling at him all game right indeed like so it's just a really weird situation because he he couldn't look more different than the guy who showed up on that game against the Cubs striking everybody out right like he was chucking sliders that game he, he looked phenomenal and yeah. then he comes up against the Reds who going into this series were struggling just as bad as the Brewers offensively and gets a six spot hung on him so it it was just a brutal situation all around indeed see that's what Christian Yelich needs is <laughs> uh yeah it it has to be like yeah Keston's been disappointing he too, has <laughs> but yeah, like like Paul said, Omar Narvaez was supposed to be one of the top four contributing offensive pieces to this team. He's and, here for one reason, yeah. So, right, considering <laughs> exactly. that hasn't been there, it is re- like of the guys we're complaining about. He probably has the smallest sample size of the regulars, so the, there is something to that. But at the same time. Do the do your one job, dude. Are the Brewers just going to fix catchers' offense and de- or defense and destroy their offense? Is that just what they're going to do? <laughs> I mean, that's what they did for Jacob Nottingham. They're like, hey, we're going to make you like a quality defensive catcher, but that bat that everyone raves about, that where they're like, ah, at worst, you'll be a good first baseman. That's gone. Sorry, we killed it. Our bat. Yeah. I, I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't know. 
I mean, didn't Grandall got off to a little bit of a slow start last year too, but I don't, I don't know. It, it, it is super concerning that Narvaez's lone role is offense. He's one of the few guys that they brought in specifically to be an offensive player and he hasn't hit. Uh, it's also how, like how truncated is it? You know, we're analyzing guys after 12 games. Right. And if this were April, we'd be like, it's 12 games. Who gives a crap? Yep. But because we're already a quarter through the season, it is something that feels significantly larger than it is. Yeah. So I think that's the other thing. And because it's all happening together, right? Like they're all bad together and that sucks. Right. <laughs> like even you were looking at this lineup and you were like, even without Lorenzo Cain or Ryan Braun, you were looking at four good hitters in the lineup. You're looking at Christian Yelich, Keston Hira, Omar, and Gar- Avi Garcia. Yeah. yeah. Avi Garcia has not been the hitter he's been advertised either. He's been disappointing as a free agent acquisition who's going to come in and tear things apart himself. So you're looking at just an offense as a whole that's even that should be fine considering the talent they have at bats in just like the top five. They should be at least able to generate two to three runs per game, and we're not even getting that nope. because not only are you working around the bad guys, but then the good guys are all crap right now. Right. Yeah, I think, looping back to the question, I think I would actually pick Keston Hira as probably my biggest disappointment. Um, just thinking, you know, there there was some expectation that maybe he would fall back a little bit this year. I know his, uh, was it Pakoda, just absolutely hated him. Yep. Uh, they're not a fan of his profile, right, because of the strikeouts. Because of the strikeouts, yeah. That's right. Uh, but I think even with that in mind, he's just been surprisingly bad <laughs> for me at least uh you know brad mentioned some of the stats he's hitting 213 his on base is 296 he's he's not even really hitting for power his slugging's 362 even with the two home runs but i think the biggest red flag right now is he's striking out even more than he did last year right he ended last year with a 30 percent k percentage which is already 37 right so he's 30. actually kind of in line it was 30.7. 30. It was 30.7 last year. He's at, he's at 37% now this year. Yeah. So uh, he's just whiffing on, and, you know, just watching the last few games too, he's whiffing on stuff that is right down the plate. He's missing he <laughs> missed so many middle fastballs. Like, middle it, fastballs. It is so it, distressing. I, I know, uh, like, Archon, who I had on reporting as eligible this week, was just, like, livid with him uh, for just missing, like, hanging sliders over the middle for two straight games, which he did. And it's very, like, he, he is he is hit okay, um, sort of. But, yeah, he's missing so many easy pitches. Uh, he actually probably should have a worse line than he does, given how much he struck out. Um, yeah. I, I think the thing with Keston is, as someone who has watched him with a drooling mouth since he has arrived in the Brewers organization. He's been I, there, baby. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I have, but I've witnessed this pretty consistently. Like he comes into the Mudcats and he doesn't hit and he strikes out a ton through the first two weeks and then he hits and then like he just doesn't stop hitting through the rest of it. And he takes his 107 batting average and turns it into a 380 by the end of the year. So I think for me, I'm a little less worried for him and he's been a little less disappointing because I know that's kind of just who Keston here is. He is always a late adjuster. Um, I don't want to do, I don't want to compare him to like power hitter who is cold starter 
type because I think it's different. I think he just like takes a while to get in his rhythm. Uh-huh. And once he gets in his rhythm, and then when you see those funks is I think that's where the strikeouts generally, he actually doesn't strike out a ton. He makes a ton of contact when he's going well. And then I'll have these two week flunks where he fits in 40 strikeouts in those two weeks, because that's, he's just like, no, I'm guessing here. I hit everything. <laughs> and uh, so I, I'm just a little less worried about him because I've seen that track record before. Right. And we kind of talked about this a little bit before too, but uh, you know, with Yelich struggling too, I think maybe it amplifies Keston's problems a little bit more too, because they're hitting back to back and the rare occasions when the Brewers do get one or two guys on, they're like, all right, Yelich and here are coming up. Here's a chance. And Actually, they're gone within like eight strikes, yeah. right? So I, I don't even feel like it's that rare. I feel like pretty consistently late in game, you're getting players on base with Kessler yeah. and Christian up, and they're just like the cares? weird thing is, yeah, the bottom the bottom of the order has been getting on all right at all right paces, you know, for who they are. Yes. So whether it's you know whether it's because Gamble's been hitting eighth or ninth or whatever, but. Uh, it, I think that just adds to the frustration then too. And, you know, again, not to go all pop psychology, but maybe Keston kind of feels like, well, if Yelich is struggling now, it's up to me. And then that just collapses everything too. Yeah. It's, it, it's just kind of disheartening to watch right now. It's very tough. And yeah, I can't say I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this game and, and doing the recap for brew crew ball, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, hopefully they'll, they'll hit sunny gray around. But as, as I posted yesterday though, I think what we're really missing from this series is DJ come back. You can blame <laughs> it all on me. Oh, Derek Johnson. Oh, Why'd Derek. Leave? Yeah. I miss I mean, you so much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know you left because of the money. Yeah. And you probably deserve <laughs> it more than home. any coach. Yep. More than any coach in baseball, uh, because you have more of a proven track record than basically any positional coach that I can remember in the last twenty years. Yeah, I mean, look at it. He he turned he revived Sonny Gray. He got Luis Castillo to be one of the best, you know, Yulis Chastain, Wade Miley, like he he fixed all these broken projects. And he he may have fixed Tyler Molly now. So that's kind of a scary thought if the Reds have like four good starters. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah, it it, it was kind of like, yeah, seeing him walk out for a mound meeting Saturday night. It was, you know, kind of seeing like an old ex walk around and it's like, ah, oh, I miss you. <laughs> uh, but and I realize a lot of fans get upset about that too. But I, I, when you watch Trevor Bauer, who had like a four or five ERA in the midst of falling apart, go back to sub one ERA dominance. Yep. And then yeah. Sonny Gray be probably the best starting pitcher in the National League right uh, now. <laughs> it It's uh, hard not to remember when she had once. Right. Very true. Uh, I mean, the, the Brewers, well, you know, we'll get to it in a second. The Brewers pitching has been all right. But, you know, you always you always want what you lost. Yeah. Right? But what could they be? <laughs> I, I think I mean, we'll get to it. We will get to it in a second. But the main problem with their pitching, I think, has really been with throwing guys out there who are not that good or struggling more than they should be and not throwing better guys out there more often. It's really right. about mix more than it is people struggling. They have a ton of guys with great numbers. Just got to get them the ball more. Right. Let's let's finish talking uh, yeah. about the offense. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So we we do have one more question uh, from PJ Wessels about the o- offense. Uh, talking about Christian Yelich's inside the park home run, he asked, "Was it actually just a four base error? And do you think the netting was good or bad for him?" And as on that play, 
Right. Uh, every inside the park home run is almost just a four base error. Almost every time, like ball gets stuck under padding. Uh, person makes dive, ball sneaks past them. Ball takes weird bounce. Like it's it's, it's the stereo at the Metrodome or whatever. Yeah, right. Yes. It's almost <laughs> always a four base error, and that's how inside the park home run. There's like maybe two inside the park home runs I can remember happening just because guy was that damn fast. But generally it's outfielder did incredibly dumb thing. Yep. And this is what happened. And, and this time he went aggressive. He thought he could get the ball. I think the netting actually helped because if he's in those stands and he's laying in the chair, I think it's harder to get out of than bouncing off the netting. Right. <laughs> On the one hand. Yes. On the other hand, it didn't look like he put a lot of effort into stopping himself. And oh, uh, no. if the net's not there, I think maybe he does and, and doesn't <laughs> flop in there. So um, I, I think it's there's a chance it saved his life. So it's good for that reason. But I also think uh, he, he went into the netting because he thought it looked nice and soft and didn't want to slow down of his own accord. Right, kind of like outfield padding. Yeah, Just exactly. Sure. Into that. Yep. Instead, he ended up like a fish struggling in, in the netting there. Couldn't quite get out. Yeah. But. Uh, I, thought, man. I thought not enough people on that play talked about how until the ball dropped, Yelich wasn't really running. No, no, that's that's one thing that struck with me too. Like he was kind of jogging to first, figuring it was that what just a single or another fly out or something. And then I he think he on the thought jet. it was an out. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I thought it was an out when he hit it. <laughs> uh, and also, like Jimenez, I think could have caught it if he would have run a little bit harder. <laughs> right. So I, I don't know, maybe one of the more impressive things on that is just kind of a reminder of just how good Yelich is at base running to get all the way around after that. Like, oh, granted, the fielder fell down and couldn't get up and the ball was <laughs> there for an eternity. But he once he realized, he flew around the bases. Well, and I think he has such sneaky speed because he has the longest legs on earth that he just like glides around. It doesn't look like everyone else sprinting around the bases when he's and, going yeah. full speed. And the angles he takes around the bases, I think, is where he really cuts time off those you know like that's another thing that's hurt the brewers offense is yellow not being on base <laughs> takes away those chances for his base running to really add another run or two yep. so and, uh, and you know what i miss is lorenzo kane being on first in those situations to yell at him in the dugout afterwards <laughs> <laughs> can't make a run that far man that's he, he, 35 years old he's too old for this yeah exactly so i don't know but Man, we just want Christian Yelich back. That's yep. all. If yeah, there's but, one thing that comes in the next week or two, come on. But can you like name a a inside the park home run that wasn't a fluke? I think like Nori Aoki just happened to hit one in like the right part of Miller Park, and then that was that far corner. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was one where and like it bounced or like where the walls used to like angle in a little bit more. It bounced off that wall well, and uh. I, th I think that's the one where it was like, okay, fate kind of played a role. Other than that, like Corey, uh, I remember Corey Hartz and he just like the outfielder did a dumb dive and the ball got past them. And that's, yeah. The only other exception is when an outfielder gets hurt. Um, it, yes. th those are not errors, but they're, they're a special circumstance too. And it is the, the way that um, baseball has decided to treat outfield errors is stupid. And um, I also believe not true to the rule. Like I, I, I occasionally hear yeah. people say, that, that you have to touch the ball to have it be an error. And I don't think that's true. No. Um, <laughs> and even that, they don't give the outfielder. Yelich had a ball hit him square in the glove Saturday yeah. night. Granted, it was a tough play, but it was literally in his glove. No error. Come yeah. They, they, they don't hand those out nearly often. I mean, error's a stupid stat anyway, but it's extra stupid the difference between what infielders have to put up with and outfielders um, get off the hook for.
I think the thing though is why it has to quote, quote unquote touch the glove is the official scorekeeper is already an idiot when it comes to making those decisions. <laughs> so then he has to be like, I feel like that guy took a playoff and then just gives him an error because he feels like there was pure stupidity on the play. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like once you get more of that human into it. However, there's the real obvious ones, right? Where like you imagine Tony Plush standing out in the middle of center field, <laughs> shrugging in Chicago in 2012, <laughs> and then the ball falls in front of him. Yeah, there's that. It's a yeah. hit, but it's like, well, you just should have been caught. Didn't Absolutely. play the ball well. Yep. No. All right. Well, on the topic of happier things, the Brewers pitching has at least been fun to watch. Uh, probably the only fun thing to watch for the, over the last couple of weeks, uh, really keeping them in games. Although, as we kind of mentioned, uh, Eric Lauer and Brett Anderson had less than inspiring starts against the Reds. Uh, but that's the bottom of the rotation for you. In the meantime, you know, Brandon Woodruff's been really good. Uh, Adrian Hauser has been just excellent. You know, he's allowed all of one run in his first 12 innings. Really looks super impressive Wednesday night uh-huh. against the White Sox. Um, I guess question number one is, Brad, do you think Hauser's kind of taking that leap? I know you were big on him going into this year. Is he kind of taking the leap to be kind of the number two behind Woodruff now? Yeah, especially when all the other starters are bad. Uh, <laughs> it makes it that much well, easier, sure. right? Well, sure, but I, you know what I mean. Like, uh, right? In are, term- you, are you encouraged with his stuff, or what are you seeing? Yeah, yeah. I think actually the front three of the rotation, with how good a guy we'll get into in a second, has uh-huh. been in Corbin Burns. Uh, it, I think that looks incredibly promising. The thing with Hauser is he has more strikeout stuff, and for him to only have nine Ks through twelve is a little surprising to me. And yeah, to pair that with five walks is. Not something you'd like to see, but, but. He, hand, he handles himself with runners on base extremely well. He really hasn't allowed guys to advance into dangerous positions often. He's gotten strikeouts when he's needed them. Uh, so, yeah, everything has looked really good for him. This is the talent we kind of got excited about when he came over in the initial trade with Brett Phillips and Josh Hader and Domingo. So these this is exactly what was so exciting about him. You know, good fastball, good breaking pitch, three pitch mix that he can command and keep hitters off balance locates. Well, we're seeing all that come to fruition. So it definitely is exciting. And it definitely feels like he's establishing a top position in that rotation and probably in rotations in baseball. Yep. I'd agree with that. And his pitching with guys on base and his ground ball profile is just fantastic. And his strikeouts are down a little bit. He's got nine in 12 innings. That's not too bad. That's just, uh, I think, a little bit of bad luck here and there. Um, and the way he's managed to wriggle out of jams is, is very impressive. His ERA plus is 579, which is small sample size it's fun. Decent. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yes. So his, his FIP sits at 405. It's hurt a little bit by the strikeouts. But even with the strikeouts being a little down, that's still good. Um, so. Uh, his whip's under one. He's been fantastic. Um, and the one good thing you could say about the Brewers rotation-wise is the guys who've pitched, the three pitchers who pitched the most are three of the best pitchers on the team. Uh, Wood, Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and Hauser are the only ones in double digits innings-wise, and they all have ERA pluses in excess of, well, uh, the lowest one is Burns at 149. So, uh, And his FIP's even better than Hauser's is. So that's all good. Um, where things start to get a little dicey is right below that. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and th- th- still, I know that there's all kinds of questions and whatnot, but the most infuriating thing about the team is, of anybody on the 40-man, guess who has the lowest innings pitched? 
right. Well, we'll, we'll get to that too. Yeah, exactly. Because um, <laughs> I know that's a sore spot for Paul. Uh-huh. But just addressing the rotation too. Like, I think even Josh Lindblom and how he's performed. Yeah, he's been, has he's been, been impressive. Yeah, when you're expecting him to be the four or five, I think he's been very satisfying as an addition to the team. And his pitches have looked really good. He really had one bad inning. Yep. Uh, well, he had an injury that caused a bad, right. you know, couple of batters. And then he had one bad inning. So like two kind of flukish uh, bumps on the road in his appearances. But overall, I think very promising in terms of what you're going to be getting out of him, especially how the pitches moved. I mm-hmm. I feel like they're moving much more than they were in exhibition or spring training. Yeah, he's fun to watch. Um, his, his pitches, they, they look neat if nothing else. And he has he has been legitimately good as a as like a fourth starter. Um he he's been well above average. His his FIPs actually like better than everybody but Woodruff's in the starting rotation. So um, I, I think if you're going to project a guy to improve going forward, he's a good he's a good candidate for that. And the other thing is he saves us from when we finally get to start watching baseball in person again, being the person who regrets going to a Doug Davis game or <laughs> that situation. <laughs> I always had the worst luck on those. Yeah. I'd- I'd I'd always get the Ulysses Chassin games or something, and then you're uh, there in for four hours. Uh, yeah, in 2008, I went to a ton of games, and more than I would like to admit were Supon starts. <laughs> you had Ben Sheets and CC Sabathia, and I'm like, oh uh, god damn it, just Supon. Uh, I did also go to a number of Dave Bush games, which were always mm-hmm. shockingly fun, and I think underrated. Dave Bush was a fun I, pitcher. I agree with you. I I love Dave Bush. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zach Davies is always a frequent game. I ended up going to too so yeah um so yeah we mentioned corbin burns and you know you guys know me by this point i'm probably the number one corbin burns fan in the world uh but he's you know objectively looked pretty excellent so far uh you know he's got a 292 era in 12.1 innings so far as paul mentioned one of the top three innings guys on the team so far and part of that you know is because he's been allowed to go multiple innings even just allowed to finish the game on saturday night which is kind of surprising to me but uh, i think maybe kind of a a show of confidence from craig council in him a little bit and maybe just trying to push the the pitch count up a little bit too in case they do want to flip him to the rotation but he he was excellent on saturday night throwing 5.1 innings he only allowed the one fluky broken bat triple that allowed in his only run he struck out eight uh he's genuinely looked really really good lots of movement on his pitches uh so i guess do we like him better kind of as the way he's been used i guess in two of his three outings as like the second part of a piggyback or do you want to see him start a game paul um i i guess i want i don't really care when he pitches as long as he continues to be used a lot um that's really all i care about i'm kind of with the brewers on not caring who the starter is and who comes in later um, I'm really just focused on who gets to pitch the most. And so I'm fine with this. Um, I think if you want to make him like a part of the starting rotation, that's fine, given what he's shown so far. Most encouraging, by the way, only one home run allowed so far, um, right. which we all know is his big bugaboo last year. And in 12 innings pitch, that's uh, that's pretty good. Um, and in a bet he shouldn't have even had, though. Yeah. I, well, also yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for those who maybe have missed it or forgotten about it, Corbin Burns goes up against Jose Abreu of the White Sox. Jose Abreu, the first time through the order, is the only one who gives her, him any issues. He's obviously fading, has uh, had trouble with the yes. three batters coming up, is an out away from getting into the inning. David Phelps is warm. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. It was a weird... 
yeah. let hit Corbin Burns face Jose Abreu. He goes to 3-0, then puts a meatball down the middle to get the strike, and Jose Abreu has the green light. Yep. Uh, you're right. That was a weird counsel. Um, pulled the guy about it. Batter too late. It's been a problem all season so far. But yeah, he probably shouldn't have allowed that home run. You're right. He should have been removed before he had the chance. Uh, you, they let David Pelps go. Uh, we're trying to let him go through the seventh and the eighth anyway after that batter. So if you were willing to do that, I get like that's when the questions about Hader and his usage started and how there's probably an injury no one's telling us about with it, Josh Hader. There, there has to be. Uh, yeah. yeah. Because otherwise, they would have had David Phelps get the one out in the seventh and then had Josh Hader throw the eighth and the ninth, right? Uh, in, in normal circumstances, you would imagine yeah. that's the case, yes. But then we're watching Corbin Burns face down Jose Abreu, who again, like historically, Craig Council says, you, you're you back through the order again. He saw mm-hmm. every pitch you were throwing, and the only way you got him to strike out in the first at-bat was you actually threw your only bad pitch of that at-bat. Uh-huh. <laughs> he threw a hanging slider that, uh, you know, Jose Abreu predicted was actually going to break, and it didn't, and he swung under it uh, in an 11-pitch at-bat. Uh, so then he comes in, Jose Abreu mashes him, and the Brewers end up losing, I think, because of that one decision not to bring David Phelps and David Phelps also has an awful eighth, one of his only awful appearances of the entire season. Yeah. He's been phenomenal. I think mm-hmm. the, actually the only earned runs he's had was in that inning. Right? That, is, that is correct. He has been great yes. other than that one inning. Um, yep. So you, I just don't get how David Phelps is ready and you don't go to him. And when you're like, you're great counsel. <laughs> go Another example of in a shortened season, every single decision like this is going to be broken down. Like it's, game seven of the nlcs but yeah it, i don't even think i'd be it's frustrating i think i'd be micro analyzing it even in a regular season because of who's managing because the manager who is handling the pitching rotation and the situation has three years of historically doing exactly not this yeah it's weird it's bizarre also, Brett Anderson is terrible. Let's let's get him out. <laughs> I'm okay with Brett Anderson well, if he throws two clean innings and then Corbin Burns comes in and throws five or six innings. <laughs> right. Sure. Right. Oh man. So yeah, that was, stupid that was stupid signing. But... Yeah. So that one White Sox game, the the lone blemish, I guess, so far you could say for Corbin Burns, um, just looks great. Uh, I even I was worried about you know Craig Council bringing him in with the bases loaded facing Castellanos. Uh, that seemed like a situation where last year would have been a nightmare inning and instead he got him to strike out and it was all clean sailing from there. So yep. that was first definitely good to of, see. Our first example of pitching lab wonders. Indeed. There you go. There you go. Yeah. That man, that two seam on the inside corner is just nasty. Uh, all right. So while we're complaining about the bullpen, uh, we kind of referenced it before Josh Hader only has three appearances through the team's first 12 games. Paul's very upset about this. The last one was Wednesday night against the white Sox. Probably the, was that the day after everybody was complaining or maybe two days at is the entire one. People have been complaining series, the basically. whole time. So yes. Yeah. The answer to your so question like that, is yes. Yes. So that white Sox series was weird, right? Cause like the games, they, they had the lead going into the, what was it like the sixth or seventh inning in every single game that series yes. and ended up losing the first two because they didn't use Josh Hader. So I have here, have you been frustrated with his usage? And I, Paul, I know your answer, but just so at it. If he's hurt, um, set him down, but he keeps getting warm. Like he keeps getting up and getting warm in the bullpen. And um, he, he's pitched three innings so far this year. That's tied for the least on the team with Justin Grimm, who sucks. Um, 
he's supposed to be <laughs> he's supposed to be the guy who comes in and gets you out of the kinds of jams you were in with the White Sox. And it's not like you know they're, they're like giving him days off there. He's been like an active person in the bullpen, getting up several times and not come in. It's it is really weird. It's even weirder with Corey Knebel like being bad and not usable. Like this is the whole point of Josh Hader and. I know that they've done similar things before and like they've made him super traditional closer and don't bring him as like at the lead just to save his arm by having a really strict criteria around it. But like they've punted away some games because they haven't brought him in, which is pretty infuriating. So if something's wrong with him, tell everybody, uh, put him on a strict schedule so everybody knows. But like he keeps wasting like reps getting warm and not coming in, which is uh, just driving me crazy. So. Get him more than three. Like, would it kill them to have him have pitched five innings? Like, that's two more innings. Eric Yardley, <laughs> Eric Yardley's pitched five innings. Why can't Josh Hader pitch five innings? Um, it's it's very strange. I think it goes to a, a as I've already alluded to, being upset by an already questionable bullpen usage for Craig Council this season when you are really trying to let your two starters when they're not Brandon Woodruff or Adrian Hauser and you're going to that piggyback starter system that they seem to have been doing, which I think is more of a result of four odd games, right? Like you have four missing games and then you have an odd rotation. You're trying to get everyone work. You're trying to stay competitive in the game, whatever. But the bullpen usage has been incredibly strange. You have pitchers ready who aren't going in in that David Phelps scenario. You have pitchers coming into scenarios i feel they normally aren't comfortable with like Corey canable they're like hey Corey, go out and get two outs there's uh runners on the corners and he's like i like faces empty which yeah. i realize the brewers are never one to let you sit in your comfort <laughs> zone they're like this is how we want to use you screw you go do your thing um which is fine that's how you baseball players should be used but you actually have a pretty good bullpen right now to use in winning situations. Eric Yardley's look great. Devin Williams, aside from his thousand walks, have looked has looked good. <laughs> oh, uh, yes. David Phelps just... has looked very good. Injured not like old Craig Council would be like, okay, two or three innings from Brett Anderson, two or three innings from Freddie Peralta, and then we just go uh, Yardley Phelps hater. Mm-hmm. So you're not even a- talking about necessarily having to use Hader for two or three innings at a time. You're just talking about not using the bullpen as aggressively, along with not using your best pitcher in the way you've used them the last few years. It's because they're trying to preserve him so he has higher value in the trade market. <laughs> <laughs> or if they go to arbitration with him, they can really push his numbers down. Stepping into Brad's conspiracy corner, yeah. but... It may the way, not be off. By the way, Freddie Peralta has the most Freddie Peralta line of all time. He has an ERA of six and a FIP of 2.47, um, <laughs> which is exactly what you expect from that guy. K9 north of 10, I'm guessing. Uh, it's, oh, yeah. Nine yeah. Uh, and six Yeah, innings. nine and six uh, innings. Yeah, so there you go. It's definitely yep. Freddie Peralta. Has, has hit two people, um, also very Freddie Peralta. <laughs> God, man. Hey, doesn't even know where it's going, buddy. Two people. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! I, I Yesterday the... pissed me off with the. It wasn't Castellano who stuck his arm out with the, uh, uh, whatever. I only listened to probably six innings. So yeah, I've been listening that, to more that was games garbage. I've been watching uh, for good reason because I can only watch the Brewers be dominated by Anthony Disclafani or Disclafani. Yeah. <laughs> What's yeah. his name? Uh, so many times, like I cannot watch them just be 
<laughs> Tyler Chatwood's roll over the Brewers anymore. Yeah. It was Jesse Winker, by the way, who got a basically just stuck his elbow because they couldn't hit Burns, so they just resorted to you know intentionally getting on base that way. Irritating, but anyway. Uh, so yeah, the pitching's look good. I think that if that continues, maybe that that's hope for the season going forward. Uh, assuming the season gets finished, because uh, I wanted to touch on the Cardinals COVID situation because it still affects the Brewers. Uh, definitely not looking great, guys. Um, Cardinals haven't played in August yet, I don't believe. Uh, another weekend series postponed. This one was against the Cubs. Sounds like they're the Pirates are not planning on playing the series to start next week. Yep. Uh, if that's the case, then the Cardinals are in the situation of uh, having to play 55 games in 45 days, which seems quite literally impossible. Yep. Uh, so I guess logistically, uh, it's a nightmare for MLB. I guess, what should the league do here, Paul, well, yeah. other than contract the Cardinals? Did you see baseball started floating the idea if there uh, is egregious behavioral issues with protocols and if enough games get canceled, they now essentially reserve the right to disqualify somebody from the postseason. And mm-hmm. um, that was certainly put out there with the Cardinals in mind. So... Um, it, 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 I'm sure that internally they've, they're having these discussions and they probably have some kind of minimum that you need to make the playoffs. Like you can't have a team having played like 20 fewer games than everybody else, or, you know, even right. 10, it's a 60 game season uh, and it, possibly having dodged, like the like Cardinals are going to not play the Cubs. Now the Pirates are a different story, obviously, but like mm-hmm. that, that has a huge effect on things. If you, if you happen to miss a few hard series, so um, I think that they're in big trouble, and I think that they are very likely to be disqualified from the postseason at this point because it's just impossible to make up enough games to get them back close to what everybody else has done. Um, it, and I, I like I'll, I'll actually I'll wager on it right now. I bet the Cardinals are, are excluded from postseason consideration when it's all said and done. Ooh, there we go. Yeah. I uh, guess Brad, your thoughts on this mess? Well. Paul took all the relevant baseball ones and I think made very good points. So I'm just going to (laughs) say, stop ruining my fantasy teams. I've been doing very good. I've been doing very good. And when there is a COVID team postponing all my games and a tropical storm postponing all my other games and I have weekly lineups, it's making life very difficult. I was going to say, our, our MKE tailgate uh, fantasy league is just a mess at this point. I just dropped into second. How do you even do it? Like my twelve players, only four of them are playing. Yep. Like if you <laughs> yeah go look in the standings, just look at the Cubs are in first place. They're ten and three. Uh, they're tied with the Cardinals in the loss column. But the Cardinals are, ah the loss column. The car the Cardinals are two <laughs> and three. That's that's just stupid. The standings are dumb. Um, uh, you, you you just can't have that. Uh, the Marlins are in first. This is a, just a debacle of of the COVID teams. Um, they should kick the Cardinals out of the league just just because, just for revenge, um, for for, for yeah. all of baseball, for being there you bad. Go. Send Tony Larusa back there and have him straighten the ship. Yep. Oh boy. Uh, speaking of Mike the Marlins, Matheny's not leading yeah. a COVID petri dish. No, no. Uh, have you guys seen like all the glowing uh, reviews of the Marlins over the like the last couple of days? Now that they're like seven and one. Uh, <laughs> Like you've got John Heyman, who I know Paul loves, and like Carl Ravitch is like saying they're the story of the season so far. So inspiring to come back from this, and it's like, come on, uh, it, it it was just weird to see it all come out on the same day. It, 
I don't know. Yep. I don't know if it's a Derek Jeter Yankee bias thing or what's going on there, but <laughs> oh, it definitely is. It's definitely oh. like everyone's hard for Jeter. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All positive Marlins content is for that reason. The, the class act, the captain. Uh, uh-huh. Such a... uh, he claimed all the waivers after 20 of his players had to step down. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to make movies about the Marlins is kind of the gist I'm getting from this last week. So that, uh, I'll look forward to that in 20 years. Which, then there actually is a Marlins season that might deserve a movie. <laughs> they <laughs> don't do anything with it. By the way, the Cardinals, I, I... Cardinals at two and three are tied for second place, um, which would possibly get them into the playoffs it would Um, that's why they can't just go straight on winning percentage because they're gonna have 10 fewer games and on winning percentage they'll be in uh i just don't even feel like you can let them play and then just keep them on the playoffs because if they beat the brewers then you have three losses for the brewers against a team that doesn't even count towards anything (laughs) it's a messy situation for sure yeah and uh, kind of like what Paul was saying, the Cardinals, especially considering the NL Central race, they had a series against the Brewers canceled. They had a series against the Cubs canceled. They haven't played the Reds yet. So, I mean, they haven't played any of the big players in the division race. It's just a giant mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I really like about it is the idea of playing the Cardinals in double headers after they play weekends at double headers <laughs> so when you get them and they're like we've been playing two games for eight straight days like sucks to suck home run home run home run yeah i still have a bad feeling that those end up being like a one in five series for the brewers yep, but totally. you know <laughs> nothing in good ever happens i feel like they've been doing better against the cardinals than they've done against the pirates and maybe that's all just made up in my head but i feel like the cardinals haven't been the uh thorn in the brewer's side that they've been in the past uh they've they, actually it's been had... pretty relatively even yeah yeah in, i think that's just a positive outlook from like even when they were in the playoffs in 2011 it felt like every time you went into st louis they just kicked your ass yeah. and right you had to feel bad about yourself because tony Larusso was complaining about the ribbon board <laughs> hey the ribbon board almost cost uh ben gamble a catch the other night so you know Bright, yeah, bright ribbon well, boards. that's because the Brewers stopped the strategy of making it bright when the other hitters were. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right. Uh, so we got a couple more questions here before we wrap it up. Uh, one last Patreon question from Kevin Cunninger. Uh, she says, Bob Uecker obviously can't announce games forever. When did the Brewers start looking for his replacement? Tim Dillard isn't playing this year. Any chance the Brewers bring him in to start preparing for life post Uecker? Uh, <laughs> Paul, I guess, what's your feeling on uh, that? Uh, I'm I'm sure that they look every year because I'm sure that they know that at some point soon Euchre will be gone and possibly with very little time to prepare. Um, mm. And I, I, I'm not in in the the know on anything like that. I'm I'm not a big fan of Dillard myself. He's fine. I know people like him. Yeah, I don't like him. Um, I don't I... like him when he when he calls games. His Twitter fi- is fine, but so uh, I mean, there's some chance of it. Um, I hope they don't go to that. Well, I think we've talked about this before. Like, I don't want them to try and copy Euchre. Like, um, yeah, Euchre's just a thing that happens. Like, he, he's a funny person who happened to be a baseball player who called games for a long time. Fi- like, targeting and finding another funny ex-ball player is a hard thing to do. And Tim Dillard might be funny at parties when you've had a couple of beers and you're talking to him, but I think that he grows, he wears pretty thin over a long period of time pretty quickly. Oh, yes. So that's, yeah. that's my thought on that. Now, other people can have different opinions on that, but I think that they'll go with more standard broadcaster replacements 
and just see how that goes. If one of them happens to be also funny, that's great. But I, I, I hope, and I don't think they'll do they'll, they'll target somebody who they see as like a, a kind of proto euchre. Uh, we, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. If not, if we didn't talk about it on the pod, we definitely talked about it offline. Mm-hmm. But, and I agree. Ryan said, and I think his assessment's correct that Jeff and Lane are the replacements. Like yeah, whenever I think that's yeah. Retired, yeah, I think that's they're right. They're going to go to a Jeff and Lane booth, and they're just not going to have a ball player in there. Yep. which is fine because Jeff and Lane have a good chemistry. They're enjoyable to listen to when they're when they have to cover for Euchre. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. They don't make me cringe like ninety percent of other baseball <laughs> radio announcers. Which I don't right. know if if you play around with MLB at bat, watch other games on TV, or listen to them on radio. God, do you feel grateful for our situation? Yeah, that, you could do a lot worse. <laughs> especially on both sides. That we're lucky on both sides. Mm-hmm. Like, there's teams that have good radio announcers, but bad uh, TV play-by-play. Look at the Pirates. I really like Joe Block. I think Joe Block's a great play-by-play guy. His radio is very good. And then you get to the TV broadcast, and it's just hot garbage with the worst takes of all time. Mm-hmm. So we are really lucky in terms of what we're in. I even think... Uh, God, why can't I remember his name right now? Who's the Badgers guy who fills in for BA? Mike LePay. Yeah. Isn't it Matt uh, LePay? Matt LePay. Oh, Matt LePay. LePay. Sorry. Yeah. Matt, <laughs> Matt LePay, so, I think it, he's I even like a, a good enough fill-in for the 30 or 40 games that BA misses at the start of every season. Mm-hmm. Where I I feel like those guys in combination are great. Will we miss Euchre? Yes. But I think Jeff and Lane will give us a nice little comic but straightforward broadcast which is something that you don't necessarily have in the rest of baseball. And if you, we've, you can really see how bad it gets when you try to shoehorn in a former player. If you go mm-hmm. listen to other teams. Yep. Speaking of Joe block, did you guys hear his uh, call the other day of a Miguel Sano home run? No. Uh, it was, it was a rocket off the bat. It was something stupid, like 116 mile per hour exit velocity, but it sounded like a gunshot when it hit like something metal in left field and Joe block just deadpan goes. Sano launches one and breaks left field. It, it was hilarious. <laughs> just sit, straight deadpan. You could tell he picked up the comedic timing from Bob Euchre. It was fantastic, but dude. I, I, I miss Joe. I'm half. I He's think a good like guy. A, yeah. TMJ and the Brewers have combined to hire some good replacements anytime they lose a talented play by play guy. Yeah. Uh, but Joe, I thought, especially to have a radio play by play announcer who embraced the statistic era as much as he did, I thought we were yep. pretty lucky to have when he was here. Yeah. Uh, however, Jeff is great too, and Lane is fine. Mm hmm. Yeah, I I mean, if if anything, I think I don't worry about the post euchre days just because they've been so great at finding that talent and and they know right. what works and all of that. Yeah, so if, and indeed. If, if you have to do a former player, I think I go Jeff Jenkins when I listen to him actually get in the booth and play. I like him. I know a lot yeah. of people go for Jeff Cirillo. I think Cirillo no, just doesn't have a natural speaking cadence, which you, bugs me. You don't want that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I was going to say, I think you can kind of tell that they're maybe kind of, you know, putting feelers out for, for uh-huh. this, too, just by having these guys step in on spring training, too, just to kind of get their toes in the water and evaluate them that way, you know? But, uh, yeah, Jenkins, I first heard him do radio filling in for Euchre a few years ago, uh, and it, like it was after Davey was stepping in, which, rest in peace, Davey, but I'm happy you weren't on radio for too much because... 
uh, you did not have a good flow. Great person, seems by all great her means charismatic, but when I got like the break for Jeff Jenkins, I was like, wow, this is knowledgeable. This is like, good. like he has information to give. He actually understands the game pretty well. This is like great stuff to hear. And he could talk where Jeff Cirillo, uh, aside from him being questionable, uh, I know people always loved him, but he, he would talk. There would be a ball. hit, <laughs> And when you see the guy run for it, he's taking the angle of, God. Uh, and going to make a strong throw from the left side glove body and you're like just talk just talk just use your words and talk stop thinking about this so hard so um but i've I've really enjoyed jenkins when he's been in there so he'd probably be if you had to do a player thing my pick but i think jeff and lane are actually what they're gonna do yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, you know, we're we're lucky, like you guys said. Even Bill Schroeder, you know, we like to make fun of Rock, but he, as far as uh, former player TV analysts go, he's a lot better than what's out there. Looking I mean, at you, FP Santangelo in Washington. Yeah, and the mentions of the no hitter have gone down significantly in <laughs> recent years. <laughs> I can't wait for him to get uh, sore when uh, Brewer throws a seven inning no hitter and he'll be quick to remind everybody that that doesn't count. Indeed. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, one more Twitter question here. I messed up Matt LaPay's name because I was looking at Mike DiMichelli. He's our next question. Uh, kind of going back to the offense, why isn't Andy Haynes selling used cars by now? Which is a little harsh. <laughs> um, but, you know, hitting, hitting coach don't... criticism is always common when stretches like this happen. Are yeah. you at least any concerns about him at all at this point? I think it's uh, very harsh. I think when you get to this level of baseball, your hitting coach is only actually there to help like set up drills and what you do in the day and maybe like to throw ideas off of. But the guys who are struggling are good enough hitters that like the hitting coach really shouldn't be the problem. Yeah, you'd like them to get out of funks. You'd like your hitting coach to maybe fix a guy here or there. But really, they shouldn't be the end-all, be-all of success. It's like firing Aaron Rodgers' quarterback coach, right? Like, is anyone really coaching Aaron Rodgers? Most of these guys who are struggling shouldn't be getting coached. Avi should be able to hit. Christian Yelich should be able to hit. Keston Hira hasn't been toyed with because he's always been able to hit. So I really don't, like, put this on Andy Haynes. If you need a spiritual firing, I guess that's where you'd go to. I always hate those, but I, I just can't like you gave Andy Haynes a pile of scrap and hoped that they would be uncharacteristically good. So I, I just can't put the blame on him. Um, the other thing you have to remember about hitting coaches is that they exist for this question. They, they're <laughs> very true. They exist to be the first sacrificial lamb of coach insurance when the offense is struggling. Um, I be... like the phrase of spiritual firing, Brad. I might have to <laughs> yes. steal that. Indeed. So uh, uh, at, Brad's right. At this level, I mean, you're, you're not really doing hitting development anymore. Everybody should be at what they do. And uh, you, you might work a little bit on getting guys out of slumps, fixing some minor mechanical things. But when guys slump, um, it's just because they're slumping 90% of the time. And, and hitting coach is, is I mean, frankly, your hitting coach at double A is much more important than your major league hitting coaches. And mm. he literally is there just, just to be the guy to take the fall the, when things go too badly over a longer period of time. So. Well, um, they also have two hitting coaches, right? The front office staff, because he's always had that's like, true. Yeah, they do. coach, which is somewhat inconsistent. Uh, yeah. inconsistent with how other teams do things. Yep. So I, I 
don't really know like yeah there's jacob uh, cruz they added in the offseason there might be another they might have two assistant hitting coaches at I least they did just, for a while i think Is it it's just, just cruz and cruz yeah. replaced um who's the guy who hit the home run in spring training jason lane jason lane yeah yeah i think jason lane was it last year and they replaced him with jacob cruz mm-hmm. um i think jason lane took a job somewhere else right that sounds correct yeah yeah uh but yeah like even last year like yeah they had offensive struggles but it how i don't think it's andy haynes's fault that travis shaw couldn't find a baseball right um it it just i think it's just coincidental stuff where they're only fired it's like firing the bullpen coach when the bullpen struggles the bullpen coach is there to answer the phone and make sure you're sweating before you go into the game yeah yep yeah exactly and especially with this front office organization too like they're hiring guys who will relay the message that they want relayed so it's if there's a problem it's more the front office strategy than the actual coaching right like by and large these guys aren't coming up with their own ideas they're being told (laughs) what they what they what the organization wants to reinforce it's also true time to fire todd johnson Mm. the scouting hasn't been strong enough right yeah so you know, I I totally suspect like the Andy Haynes criticism will continue, especially if this goes on for another week or two. But yeah, at at this point, and especially this season, I don't think anybody's getting fired over this trash fluke of a season. Nope. So exactly, yeah, I think that's even more like spot on. It, it's a dumb season. You're not going to fire people for a dumb season unless you're a dumb organization, and the Brewers are not a dumb organization, despite the, you know their scrap heap signings kind of feeling like it at uh, some points. As uh, their three of their middle of the order hitters almost have a combined sixty strikeouts, and probably will be a combined sixty, if not over, strikeouts uh, by the time you're listening to this. <laughs> right. I think you know maybe check back with this question in May or June of 2021. <laughs> We'll see. Uh, In the meantime, if you have something you want us to talk about, we do put out a call for questions every week on our Twitter account. That's at MKE tailgate. Just reply to that tweet with your question, or you can follow each of us and send us questions individually. Paul is at Badger Noonan. Brad is at brew crew blue, and I'm at James L James with a Y. In the meantime, too, if you enjoy listening to us, you can help support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. You'll get priority when we do send out those call for questions and you get a shout out when you do sign up. While you're at it, if you haven't already, do not forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else you listen to your podcast, please do subscribe. And while you're there, leave a review to help others find the podcast and let us know how we can improve. In the meantime, thank you for listening to this week's episode. Hopefully the Brewers start hitting. Stay well, and we'll see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.